as I began to read about this particular man, and we're going to talk about today two men uh, who had very similar situations. Um, and if I were to, and the title of this message today really is, What Are You Known For? What are you known for? And I suppose proper English would be, for what are you known? But we're setting that aside for a minute. What are you known for? Uh, and before we get into talk about these two particular men, if I were to throw out some names to you, you probably could tell me almost immediately what these individuals, at least in part, were known for. Michael Jordan. Thank you. One word. That's all you need. Basketball. And if you were to add some words to a greatest basketball player ever, except for now LeBron's on the scene, but anyway, uh, but we know, we know the name, we know what he's known for. Bill Gates, Anybody? software, Microsoft, right? Richard Daly, mayor, like forever un until recently. His father was the same thing, you know, mayor. All it takes is a word, and you know at least what they were known for, without getting into too many details. Today I want to talk to you about two kings who were known for very different things and very different reasons. And yet these two kings shared three things. One, they shared a destiny. Not only that, they shared an iniquity. Not the same kind. By iniquity, I simply mean sin. And also, not only did they share that destiny and that iniquity, they shared a legacy. They left a legacy. These two particular kings, as you read through, and you don't, you don't catch this if you just sort of you know, pick and choose, and this is why I would encourage you from time to time, if you can, make it a goal. If it's not a 90-day thing, this is probably more than anyone can chew, but a year, read through the Bible in a year. And when you begin to read through it cover to cover, you begin to find over and over various things that are repeated. And they're repeated for a reason. They're repeated for these two particular kings more than anybody else in the Old Testament. You will find it. And today the two kings that I want to talk to you about is a king by the name of Jeroboam, who we don't talk about very often, and a king by the name of David. How could we not talk about David? David was one of the greatest kings of all time, one of the greatest kings and the greatest kings in Israel, and yet they all shared, a, the two of them shared a destiny, they shared an iniquity, and they shared a legacy. And today, I want us to look at this, and we're going to read a lot of Scripture, so please just hang on with me as we go, first of all, to 1 Kings chapter 11. And I want to read to you, starting at verse 26, because you don't, you, this is where you really get the introduction to this man, Jeroboam. Jeroboam was an individual who was part of Solomon's workers. He was a young man when Solomon was getting up in years. 
Jeroboam's father was also one of the workers for, for Solomon. Solomon built that, that unbelievable temple, the temple that has had no match since it was built. And, and he built the temple, built such a, 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 a great palace for himself, and built up the walls of Jerusalem, built up the city of Jerusalem, and made all kinds of changes. Yet one of the ways that he did it, he had to, he had to use the labor of uh, the people who were there. And so many of the people who worked for Solomon worked very hard. They were taxed heavily uh, in the nation at that time. Solomon was one of the wealthiest kings in all of the world. They came from all over to hear of Solomon's great, see of his wealth, and to hear of his wisdom. And yet Jeroboam was just a young man when Solomon was getting up in years, later in years as the king. And Jeroboam was very trusted by Solomon. And as uh, he worked and as he went along, all of a sudden Jeroboam began to earn the trust of those who were around him. To the point where where we're going to pick up reading today, we're going to find that Jeroboam begins to rebel against Solomon. Let's start at verse 26. The Bible says this, Also Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zerudah. And his mother was a widow named Zeruah. Here is the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the supporting terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of his father of da- uh, city of David his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing. And when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the house of Joseph, that is Ephraim as well as Manasseh. About that time Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem and Ahijah the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way, wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the uh, Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. And have not walked in my ways, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my statutes and laws as David Solomon's father did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose and who observed my commands and statutes. I will take the kingdom from his sons and give you ten tribes. I will give one one tribe to his sons so that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. However, here's his destiny. I want you to see these last few verses that we read, and we're going to see Jeroboam's destiny. A destiny is a place that God has marked out and planned for us. This is what God had intended for Jeroboam. However, as for you, 
I will take you and you will rule all over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I don't know if you really realize what the prophet of God is saying to him. He is saying, I am going to put you on the level of David. That's what God had planned and God wanted for him. Verse 39 says, I will humble David's descendants because of this but not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak the king and stayed there until Solomon's death. His destiny, Jeroboam's destiny, was one that was on the level of what God wanted to do for David and was doing for David. He was tearing away the kingdom from Solomon because Solomon, as we learn, as we read earlier in 1 Kings, Solomon began to worship other gods. He began to marry foreign women and bring them in. And and instead of saying, no, we worship one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah in this land, we don't bring other idols and other gods, he just catered and he himself went to these particular places of idol worship and he worshiped these idols himself. And so God said, I'm going to rip the kingdom away from Solomon and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And Jeroboam was the man that God had handpicked. God came along through the prophet Ahijah and says, I've got a plan for you, Ahijah. I've got a plan for you, Jeroboam. And I, the plan is simply this. I'm going to give you this kingdom. In fact, I'm going to give you ten tribes. I'm just going to keep a small portion for David, for David's namesake, for the the covenant I made with him. I'm going to keep a small portion, but ten tribes are going to be yours. And you can rule over all your heart desires for as long as you obey me and do what I command you to do. As long as you stay faithful. You see, we have a glimpse into his future. Few of us will ever have a glimpse into our future. This man had a glimpse into his future, what his future held. How many of you would love to know what the next year or two or three holds? How many of you are a little worried about what the next year or two or three holds? Maybe you don't want to know. But most of us, you know, most of us are nosy by nature. You know, we we get that glimpse, we get that picture, and we're like, yeah, check it out. Jeroboam had a glimpse into his future. He knew what God was giving him. He knew what God was going to do for him. He knew exactly what it was that God wanted from him. He had a clear picture of what his future held. And even when Solomon heard about this, tried to kill him, he just fled and he kept it. He held it until Solomon died, and then he returned. 
So brothers and sisters, he had a glimpse into what it was that God, this came straight from God, folks. This was not just some crazy old prophet of God who came along and said, hey, I think what God wants for you is this. No, he didn't, was it that way? This was straight from God himself. I've got a destiny in store for you. Brothers and sisters, what we have to recognize in all of this is that God has a destiny for each and every one of you. He's not going to peel back the curtain and let you in on the future so much and let you in on what's going to happen next week, let alone next year. But brothers and sisters, i got to tell you that in spite of all of that, every one of you has a purpose and a plan that God has for your life. He desires to do something in you and He desires to do something something through you, and so oftentimes we come to the place where Jeroboam came to. He had a choice. You see, God's destiny for you does not necessarily mean it's automatic, and we're going to see that in just a moment. Jeroboam not only had a glimpse into his future, but Jeroboam had a promise of greatness. Yeah, I stopped trying to be great long ago. I really did. I don't know. Anybody here still trying to really be great? (laughs) All right. I'm glad. And you know what? It takes a college student to be... I have no doubt. What little bit I know about Annie, I have no doubt. You see, when one daughter of the Burnleys leaves, the other one returns. Uh, Annie's like a daughter to them. Uh, And and she's got great hope, trying to be great. And you know what? Good for you. Uh, I stopped trying after the college years when I realized I hadn't arrived. And I don't know, you know, but you know what? He had a promise of greatness. There are those that have promise. You ever look, and especially it happens in younger people, you know, the adults can look at a young person and say, yes, they do have a promise of greatness. There is promise there. And yet you see that though promise is there, It can all come down to what choices you are going to make as to whether or not you fulfill the promise of greatness. Jeroboam had the promise of greatness. The Bible says here, and this is straight from God himself, I'm going to build you a dynasty. You know, a dynasty is something that rules for, you know, a kingdom that rules for a long period of time. Like my Boston Celtics. I'm sorry, I had to go there. Uh, um, You know me. You know, the Celtics for many, 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 many years, longer than the Bulls, many years ruled the NBA. It was either between them and the, the, the Celtics and the Lakers. They just ruled. And then they went downhill as soon as Larry Bird got too old to play. And now it came back up with Kevin Garnett and all these other guys. But now there's somebody else waiting in the wings. They want to build a dynasty. A dynasty means that it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. God was saying to him, I've got a promise of greatness, not just for you as an individual, Jeroboam, but those who will come after you can be great as well. But I want you to see, brothers and sisters, how important it is because God says here in verse 38, he says, if. This is where we have to be very careful. The promise of greatness, the the glimpses that we have, a little bit of what's down the road, is dependent upon choices. If you do whatever I command you and walk in the ways 
in my ways and do what is right in my eyes, that is God's eyes, by keeping my statutes and commands as David, my servant, did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David. Dave, do you realize, brothers and sisters, that David's dynasty is, in fact, an enduring one? No, there's no king over Israel today, but there is the king of kings who came from the line of David. It was enduring. It was for the future. But what happened? Why is it that we don't talk about Jeroboam so much? Because Jeroboam is not the best example that we can find. Because Jeroboam gave in to an iniquity. He gave in to something that went dead against what God's destiny was for him. You see, when you go against the plan and the purpose of God, you cannot expect the blessing of God. You can't expect that God is going to fulfill His word in your life when you decide that you will do your own thing. You're going to do, and, and I got to tell you, if there is anybody in the Old Testament that we read about who decided to do it his way, it's this guy. Turn with me now, go to. 1 Kings chapter 12. It's one chapter over. He gets the word of the Lord. Now some time passes because Solomon is trying to kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam flees to Egypt. And he goes down there and he stays until he hears that Solomon has died. And Jeroboam comes back and by this time Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is now the king. And he comes back and he puts it out there to Rehoboam. He says, listen, if you go easy on us as a people, we will serve you. So now Jeroboam has heard the word of the Lord. He's going to be king. And yet at the same time, he is giving David's line an opportunity to do what's right, to ease up on the people. Solomon had heavily taxed them. He had worked them to the bone to build this great kingdom. And he throws it out there to Rehoboam. Rehoboam goes with his counselors. And the older, wiser men say, listen, do what he says, seriously. People can't take anymore. He said, ah, let me go to the younger counselors. The younger counselors said, you, you go back to them and you tell them, I'm going to make it doubly hard for you. you. My father taxed you. I'm going to tax you twice as much. You worked hard for my father. You're going to work twice as hard for me. And he goes back and he says that. Jeroboam says, fine, let's go, fellas. We're going to have our own kingdom. But I want you to see what happens here. In Jeroboam's life, Jeroboam had the course set in front of him. He had the plan out in front of him. He even had a glimpse into his future. He even had the ability to be able to see a little bit about what it was that was in store for him because God had revealed it through the prophet. But we see something happen. 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 down through to 23. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. 
they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Folks, this is all imagined. God said through the prophet Ahijah, he said, I have set apart Jerusalem. That's the place where the temple is. That's where I've put my name. There was to be one center of worship, one place where the people went. And he, Jeroboam, had to trust that when his people traveled down into Jerusalem to worship at the temple, that God was still going to preserve his kingdom. That took faith on his part, and you can see where he is now struggling with that thought and that idea. Wait a minute, if people go down there, they're going to swear allegiance to the king of the southern kingdom, and they're not going to serve me as, as the king, and they're not going to keep me as king. All this time, he's trusting in his own sensibilities, in his own abilities. He is trusting in himself rather than trusting in the God who said, I'm going to build you a dynasty. He wasn't trusting in the Lord. He was trusting in himself. The Bible says this, let's read on. Verse 28, after seeking advice, the king, here it is, made two golden calves, violating the commandment of the Lord that God gave to Moses in the wilderness. Made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem, too far, too much, too hard. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Oh my goodness, did this guy forget what happened in the wilderness when Moses went up on the mountain and God came down and, and Moses was up there you know, speaking with God and God was giving him the law and Moses was gone for 40 days and 40 nights and the people said, he's lost, he's dead. Aaron, do something about it. The Bible says Aaron said, Bring all the gold to me. And he melted it down and he built what? Do we remember? A golden calf. And in fact, when he set it in front of the people, he said, now here is the God who brought you up out of Egypt. Oh my, that wasn't the God who brought them up out of Egypt. It's a God of gold. He just made it. Same thing is going on here. Now he says, this is the one who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there, which aims to indicate that it wasn't too much for them to go to Jerusalem if they're going to go all the way to Dan. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. The Levites were supposed to be the priests. They were supposed to be the ones who worshiped the Lord and served the Lord in the house of the Lord at all times. He appointed anybody a priest. He instituted the festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. To understand that, it's a made-up festival. The festival was supposed to happen in the seventh month, and it was already instituted in the law that God gave to Moses. God had already said to Moses in, on the 15th day of the seventh month. Now he's saying, eh, seventh month, eighth month, pff, who cares? Yeah, it's the big deal. Eighth month for us, folks, not the seventh month. 
He's making it up as he goes along. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar and he had built at Bethel, which incidentally the name Bethel means house of God. And now he is violating that which is the house of God. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. I want you to see what he does. I already pointed it out a little bit, but the golden calves. In Exodus chapter 32, it reveals to us about the golden calf that Aaron made for the people. And apparently, history does not teach us. Apparently, history does not teach him that when... Aaron made the golden calf and the people were worshiping and they were partying this, you know, around this calf. They, the, the Bible lets us know that when, when Moses and Joshua had gone up part of the way on the mountain, when, you know, Joshua heard this noise, he said, hey, I, I hear the sound of warfare down there. There's a fight going on. We, we got to get down there. Moses said, oh, no, not warfare, Joshua. People are partying. Already they've turned their back on God. He's, Moses has been up on the mountain communicating with God, and already the people have turned their backs on the God who opened the Red Sea. And now Jeroboam, many, many years later, is going against that which God did on that particular day. Now, the end of that, the judgment that God brought upon the people at that time was, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 32, that he brought a plague on the people as judgment for what it was that they did. Jeroboam had no fear, had no fear of the judgment of God. And we, we hear about this today. Oh, no, 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 God's a God of love. God absolutely is a God of love. But God is also a holy God. He is not just a God of love. He is a holy God. And Jeroboam goes his way. He does his thing. And you know, the Bible says he sets up these golden calves in direct opposition to what God had said to his people that they should do, first of all, in the commandments. Don't make any graven image. Don't have any other gods before me. Here he's setting it up, and he even has the audacity to say, here are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. Those gods didn't bring him out of Egypt. It was Jehovah God, Yahweh, brought them out of Egypt. But then not only this, this guy's making up his own laws. He is putting himself in the place of God. Remember, the law was given to Moses. Moses didn't make it up. It was given by God. Now here, Jeroboam is saying, festival, seventh month, we're going to have it the eighth month because I don't want you people traveling down to Jerusalem because I'm afraid you're going to defect and you're going to go and be loyal to that king and you're going to do your own thing down there. You're going to come back and you're going to kill me. So I want to, to you know, I want to make sure that I, I maintain control all the while not trusting what the word of the Lord was to this man. Listen, when God gives a destiny, when God gives a plan and a purpose, he doesn't need you or me to finagle it and finesse it and make up our own junk in order to make it work. Jeroboam made it up. He made his own laws. He went against God to the point where he said, I'm going to write a new law. Well, what kind of day and age are we living in today? 
People are doing this all the time. Bible, I don't like what that says there. Rip out that page. Ooh, that's, that's politically incorrect. Don't like that. Oh, that goes against the modern sensibilities and the philosophies of the day and age that we live in. Rip that out. You could have Thomas Jefferson's Bible. You know what Thomas Jefferson did with his Bible? He was a deist. Far from being a Christian. Many people believe as one of the founding fathers of the nation, he was a Christian. Thomas Jefferson's Bible literally was full of holes from him cutting out. In fact, some people have republished his Bible. The, the sections that he cut out are missing. The Bible's like this thin. And it's not one of those thin line with tiny, tiny print either. He cut things out that he didn't like. Jeroboam started cutting stuff out of the law saying, you know what, that's, that's not going to work for us up here in the northern kingdom. Let's make our own religion. We live in a day and age where we're telling God what it is that we're going to do rather than God telling us what it is that we ought to do and how we ought to live. This, brothers and sisters, was Jeroboam's iniquity. This was his sin. This was what it was that he did. But you say, but maybe it just died with him. Maybe it was that, that you know, when he died, this all died, and it all went away. It was like a bad dream, really bad king. He was foolish. He did his own thing. He should have obeyed the Lord because he would have had a lasting dynasty as a king, but he didn't. He lacked faith. He, he made up his own laws. He built a, a, an, an idol and caused the people to worship the idol as if it was the God who brought them out of Egypt, but maybe it all died with him. Turn with me now to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings 16, and I am going to deliver this message in two parts because it is abundantly clear that today David is not going to make it into the message. So next week I will continue this. But I want us to see Jeroboam's legacy. Certainly. That kind of nonsense, God's, you know, he's going to put a stop to it. He's going to just make it die when Jeroboam dies. But when, this is how loving God really is. When people make their choices, he does not violate their will. See, God has given us a will that he's not going to mess with. He's not going to finagle with your will and make you do something you don't want to do. This is why, you know, so often, times of counseling in the past, I have looked at people, Pastor and Paglia, I know over the years, look people across from the desk and say, you know what, in the end, you're going to do what you want to do. And the bottom line is, and parents, you know it, as your, your, your kids get older and older and older, and, you know, you no longer can use that rod of correction, you got to find some other means you begin to find they're going to do what they want to do. People choose to do whatever it is that they want to do. So maybe it will die with them. Maybe it is that if they make bad choices, wrong choices, then when they go to the grave, it's all going to die. Sorry, it's not how it happened. Unfortunately, here's Jeroboam's legacy, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 31 and 33, and this is having to do with Ahab. Remember, Ahab was the dude who married Jezebel. Let's read it. Not only considered, he not only, Ahab not only considered it trivial. Now, here it is. Look at this. To commit the sins of Jeroboam 
son of Nebat. Years later, Jeroboam, still alive through his sins. His sins are being committed over and over and over. And the Bible says about this king Ahab that he didn't, he thought it was it was trivial. Like, no big deal. Two golden calves. Go to Bethel, worship one golden calf. Go to Dan, worship the other. Come on, let's go. But, but Ahab took it further. The Bible says this, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. It seems as though Ahab, had, prior to that time, at whatever point before he became king, had not been a part of Baal worship. But now as the king, he says, all right, this has been part of my wife's religion. Let's just bring that along too. There was this weird blend of, of, of partial Levitical priesthood and, and worship of, of God going on. And then in the name of two golden calves and then bringing along Baal, and then we have this. Verse 32, and he set up an altar of Baal in, in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab made an Asherah pole to worship the Asherah and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Think about that statement for a minute. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings before him, but what happened? The Bible says this, here it is, Jeroboam is popping his ugly head up again. The sins of Jeroboam were part of Ahab's existence as a, as a king and as a leader. He brought it along, that legacy that Jeroboam left that says you can do whatever you want to do and you can live however you want to live and you can make it up as you go along. You don't like what the, the law says, you don't like what the Bible says, do your own thing. Make it up. And now we have Ahab saying, yeah, good idea. I'll go with that. The Bible says he thought it was trivial. It was like no big deal to go ahead and do that. Let's go now to 2 Kings. Book of 2 Kings. We're going to just look at two other kings, and we're going to see this Jeroboam's legacy and how it was that was carried on. 2 Kings chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3. The Bible says this. Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. Well, that's encouraging. But remember, he's still doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Just not as much evil. We say, well, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not a, not a really bad sinner. You know, according to God, a sinner is a sinner. There's, sin is sin. There, there are no degrees. There are no varying degrees. The Bible says he even got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. 
You see, brothers and sisters, the only way for us to eliminate a bad legacy is to repent. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Repentance is you are walking in this direction. You are going after this thing. You are worshiping this thing. You are going after this particular area of fulfillment in life. And repentance is you turn around and you put your back to the nonsense and the garbage and the sin and you walk away from it and you turn to the living God who gives life and forgiveness of sins. There is only one way to stop the bad legacy that somebody in our lives has left for us. The only way is to turn away from it. That's why we read about the prophets. A lot of these prophets, we, we, uh, we were reminded on Friday night about how much we need to study the books of the Bible. That is, we need to learn the books of the Bible. We get into those, some of those minor prophets and we're not sure. We, you know, Hosea, does he go before or after Joel or what, what in the world? But all of these guys, they're crying out. They're prophesying. The whole time these kings are going, you know, doing their own thing and going after the sins of Jeroboam. The only thing that they're doing is they're crying out against that sin, saying, turn away from the sin and turn to God. That's the mercy of God. One more king. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10. This guy that we're going to read about just in a couple of verses, this guy was the brightest glimmer of hope in the entire northern kingdom of Israel throughout the history after it had been divided. After that northern kingdom had been divided into a northern kingdom, it was all one under David, all one under Solomon, uh, at least for the, the majority of the time that he was alive, and then as soon as he died, it was split, it was divided. So under from the time of Jeroboam becoming the king, this guy, this king, was the brightest glimmer of hope that this nation had. The Bible says this, starting in verse 28 and 29. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. Baal was one of the foreign gods that they worshipped. He was a god of fertility. There was all kinds of, kinds of immorality that went with this kind of worship. Ashtoreth was the female version of this god Baal, and this is what the people of Israel had, had gone into. And the Bible says about Jehu, and, and you read this, and all of a sudden there's hope that begins to arise as you read a little bit about it. It says he destroyed Baal worship in Israel. But verse 29, here it is. Here's the bad legacy of Jeroboam. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat which he had caused Israel to commit the worship. He had caused Israel to commit the worship of golden calves at Bethel and Dan. Jehu was one of those guys who was a glimmer of hope for a nation that had fallen so deeply into sin and going against the law of God and going against what God wanted for them. Here comes Jehu, and he starts tearing down the idols of Baal. He starts tearing down all that worship. And the Bible says he got rid of Baal worship. He destroyed Baal worship in Israel. In other words, he got rid of it. 
completely. And you can, you can sense in your heart this feeling of you want to just say, yeah, go, Jehu. Come on, bring God back to being number one in this nation. But then you have the however. It didn't all change as much as it should. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, long gone. Long gone. But he had left a legacy of sin that the Bible lets us know as you begin, as you continue through the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and you get toward the end of it where Assyria is now carting people away. Similar to what happened to the southern kingdom of Judah later in Babylon, Assyria brings the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, out into their land, and there was no promise of a return. See, the southern kingdom of Judah, God had, had said, you're, you're giving into sin, I'm going to let you go into Babylonian captivity, but you will return. The northern kingdom had no such promise. And you get to the end of it, and every single king, almost every one of them, somehow followed their own way of their own choosing, and they said, we're going to do whatever it is that we want to do. Jeroboam's legacy lived far after him, but the legacy he left behind was not one that honored God. It was one that made up his own God. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. You say, Pastor, you're preaching to the choir today. You're preaching to people who love God. Listen, I don't doubt for a minute with all my heart that you love the Lord. I don't doubt that. I'm not going to stand in judgment of anybody today. But I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, when God says, I've got a plan and I've got a destiny for you, you've got to trust in the fact that the Lord will bring it about in His time. Don't begin to mess with it. Don't begin to finagle it. Don't begin to try to work it out and become fearful about what it is that is maybe is or is not happening in your life. But begin to trust in the Lord. And the Bible says when you trust in the Lord with all your heart, He will lead you and He will guide you. He will bring you into what it is that He wants to perform in and through you. Listen, God has a destiny for us. And you know what I believe? You might have stopped trying to be great. I said that jokingly. I'm not trying to make a name for myself if that's what we mean by that. But I want you to know that I want to be great in the sense of what God sees in me. I want us to be great in the sense of what it is that God sees in us. And that the legacy that we're leaving behind to our children, to our families, and to other people that are around us, our our co-workers at our jobs, the kind of legacy is not a flip-flop kind of legacy. It's not something that says, well, you know, they said they were believers, but they sure lived like they were something else. Or they said they were Christians, but they just did their own thing. No, no, no. I don't want it to be that we are the kind of people who will say, I'm going to make it up as I go along, because this is inconvenient to us. It was inconvenient in his mind for people to travel to Jerusalem when he had the word of the Lord had said they're going to travel to Jerusalem to worship because that's where I put my name. That's where the temple is. He should have just trusted, Lord, you're going to preserve what it is that you said to me. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today. Now listen, I ended on the Jeroboam note and that's not what I had planned today. I had planned to end on the David note. So you got to do me one favor. you got to come back next Sunday so we can end on the David note because there's a whole lot of preaching to go on with David. There's a whole lot of good stuff about this guy David. 
he also was in a similar position. His position was he had a destiny. He, there was iniquity. There was sin. There was also a legacy. And we are going to see the kind of legacy that he leaves behind. But brothers and sisters, can I ask us today, I believe with all my heart that when we read about some of these people in the Old Testament, we read about a Jeroboam and we read about Ahab and we read about some of these guys, it's not there just to take up space in a page. It's not there just to, you know, this is the history of Israel. And No, no, these are examples. And unfortunately, these are examples of those of the things that we don't do, of the, the way that we shouldn't go. The psalmist wrote on one occasion, search me, O God. See if there is any wicked way in me. You know, for most of us sitting here today, we say, but I came to church. I love God with all my heart. I don't doubt that. But I believe that the enemy is not far behind your commitment. And he's not far behind in trying to tempt you away from the destiny that God has in store for you. The plan and the purpose that God wants for your life. The devil has a plan and a purpose for your life. Did you know that? And it is to just simply destroy you. Make a mess out of you. He wants to just come in and, and, and God wants to set things in order. He wants to, to make you be a, a, a somebody who honors him with, with all of their heart, their soul, and their mind. And the devil wants to come in and just kind of mess it all up. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up like Jeroboam, leaving a legacy of just doing my own thing. I want to leave the kind of legacy that others in Scripture have left. And I want us just to bow our heads today and say, Lord, just search us. Because, you know, the amazing thing about all of these sinful kings that we see in the Old Testament is most of them, many of them, I should say, had encounters one way or another with a prophet of Israel. Whether it was Elijah whether it was Hosea, whether it was Joel, Amos, Amos was up in the northern kingdom, whether it was, was some of these guys, Isaiah, who prophesied and, and cried out against their sins, somewhere along the way they had an encounter with one of these prophets. And God did not send a prophet to the nation so that the nation could sit there and feel as though somehow we're sunk, we're buried. He sent a prophet to direct them to repentance, to direct them to the place of a restored relationship. From time to time, as Christians, we have to be reminded of the dark avenue of sin, the dark avenue of just doing our own thing and making it up in our lack of faith or our inability to, to somehow believe that God is going to, to work on our behalf in our lives. We begin to take it and try to work it out on our own. Can I encourage you? Don't do that today. Walk in faith. The Bible lets us know we walk by faith and not by sight. It's not by what you see. It is by what God has done, and it's trusting in the fact that He will help you and He will bring about in your life exactly what He desires to do.